0: This is Lawyer Up. I'm John Gonzalez, and I'm here with my law partner, Jack DeRora. We're business and trial lawyers with the Hall Law Group in Columbus, Ohio. We're talking today about whether a court can take away your right to have children. Today
1: we have with us Giovanna Scaletta-Bremke, a lawyer from Avon, Ohio, in Moraine County. Giovanna has a very important case before the Ohio Supreme Court concerning the right to procreate.
0: Well, we're like we're uh, happy to have you with us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh,
2: yourself and uh, what type of law you practice? Um, a big part of my practice is also criminal defense, uh, which is how this case sort of came about. We um,
0: are going to talk about the case you have before the Ohio Supreme Court, and that's the um, the topic today of this gentleman's right to procreate. Uh, before we get into the legal issues, though, can you tell us? Uh, what your client's name is and uh, what he uh, had done to uh, get him into this position where the court uh, has taken away his rights.
2: About, uh, well, Mr. Chapman's case had six cases at the trial court, which were consolidated to one, one case on the court of appeals. And I also have Mr. Lee Anderson And he has, I believe, five cases, again, consolidated. And uh, his case is also before the Supreme Court. So Mr. Chapman has 13 children um, with nine mothers. And Lee has, I believe, nine uh, children. Uh, Judge Jim Walther, who's actually the probate court judge, but he handles the felony non-support Um, cases, or they have to make all reasonable efforts not to procreate during the community control period, which...
1: Hey, Giovanna, you're getting a little ahead of us. I don't think most listeners are going to understand how it is that these gentlemen are in front of the court in the first place. It's not just that they have 13 kids with nine mobs, what are the ch- the criminal charges that were levied against these men? Let's set that foundation first.
2: Sure. So um, in Ohio, if you fail to make support payments um, for 26 um, out of a consecutive 140, 104 week period, it is a felony non-support. So it's actually, a, again, it's a criminal case. It's a felony. I
0: saw that uh, Mr. London had a, somewhere 11 counts. Um, he was fined $220,000 and five years of probation. The one thing that caught my attention, though, uh, Giovanna, was his probation is up next year. It's taking some time to get through these courts, I guess. Mr. London uh, was uh, sentenced to, if I, could, if I understand right, um, on the... The multiple felonies to one year in jail but it was run consecutive concurrently so he has a one-year jail sentence hanging over his head is that my, is that my understanding correct
2: now that's something that was brought up at the oral arguments in the ninth district was well if you know why don't they just choose to go to prison instead of being subjected to this order um and even the other judges on the panel Um, sort of laughed at it because it would be multiple, you know, it would be, you're talking a year suspended time for each of these counts. Um, You know, you're talking, you know, 11 years in prison at that point.
1: I want to make sure that our listeners understand what's going on procedurally here, because I, I think we've kind of taken this out of order. These men are brought before the court for failing to pay child support, the decision that was made by the trial court goes up to the Court of Appeals, comes back down, but somewhere in this process, the real reason you're here, Jovan, is to talk about the fact that that trial judge ordered these men not to procreate, right, not to have sex with... Unprotected sex. He wanted to make sure they don't father more children.
2: How did that happen? Judge Walther um, pulled myself and the prosecutor into his chambers and said, "You know why? Uh, you know I've ordered this condition before, and I'm thinking about doing it with Mr. Chapman." Um, he had said that uh, London's has the most children. Um, in the most cases that he's seen. So he's ordered this before, um, but it's, it, that person didn't have as, as many children as London. Um, subsequently to that, then um, the judge did order it. I believe between the first time he ordered it seven years ago and these cases, there's also been some others that just have never contested it.
0: The court comes back on the non-constitutional issue that's an absolute win for you, right? If the court comes back on the constitutional issue, it'll likely go back to this judge for a different type of analysis, but not necessarily a win. Is that accurate? It's true, Um, it is a win. Basically arguing that the right to procreate is a fundamental right. How do you get that from our Constitution? Where is that found in the Constitution?
2: Um, but that's been a longstanding, um, that's been a longstanding holding that in, in this judge, uh, in, in nor the Ninth District, everyone agrees um, that this is a fundamental right. So um, there's not an issue as far as that's concerned with them agreeing to that. There it's, we um, all agree that it's a fundamental right.
1: You know, the first thing I thought of when I heard about your case was a US Supreme Court case from nearly 100 years ago called, I think it's called Buck, where a woman who was mentally handicapped and became pregnant was ordered to be sterilized pursuant to Virginia's law. And Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote the opinion And he's famous for it, or maybe I should say infamous, but apparently she was the second or third generation of women in this family who suffered from this mental handicap. And in affirming the Virginia state law, he said something to the effect of three generations of imbeciles are enough. And he affirmed the Virginia law that authorized this woman to be sterilized. Now, I certainly haven't tracked US Supreme Court law since 1927, but it's interesting that whatever right to procreate exists wasn't around in 1927.
2: Yeah, and again, um, you know, when we're talking about the history of, you know, this nation, again, that's something that it changes a lot. Um, there was a lot, um, you know, about interracial um, marriage, interracial um children. Um, you know, there used to be laws against, um, you know, sodomy and homosexuals. And so, you know, that's all things that, you know, obviously, um, the, the case that you mentioned, that's obviously things that have changed over time. You know, this is a broader meaning it's, it's got a broader effect. And some people have even mentioned, um, you know, Orders like this, in order to get government benefits, whether you could say, "Hey, you can't have any more kids, or else we're going to cut off your benefits," um, and whether you know that would be constitutional, or things um, a- along the same lines as a probation condition. Um, where do you draw the line? So, if um, in, you know a woman is pregnant and is a drug user um you know can the judge order that she not have any more children during that community control period so um because you know she's pregnant and using drugs so you know it's um you know sort of a slippery slope as far as where does it end constitutional rights aren't
0: absolute uh what happens with constitutional rights is the court just simply uses a different standard to determine the government can infringe upon our rights. And it's uh, it's a standard, as I recall from law school, strict scrutiny. Is that what you're basically arguing, um, that this uh, case doesn't meet that uh, heightened standard?
2: Strict scrutiny is, in a simpler term, um you know it's uh the government has to have what's called a compelling interest so a really great interest and even if they do the law has to be narrowly tailored um uh, meaning um it has to not over overstep um so the government has to have a big interest and they also have to um narrowly tailor the law in order to um in order to impose a strict scrutiny so
1: there's let me be the judge in the case then because i'm sure there are people out there who are chagrined that's not the right word who would be stunned at the fact that a man can have 13 children by nine women why should society tolerate that kind of conduct because nine children without proper parenting is going to, at least in some people's view, become a greater burden on society. So if this man can't regulate his conduct, it's up to the court. How does that figure into the equation?
2: Right, so um, he's made efforts to pay. Um, and again, he, they're not denying the fact that they owe this money. They've pled guilty. Um, the thing is that this order, um, takes it too far. Um, the fact that they're not able to have any additional children. Another thing that I, you know, I, if it's not just, um, violating his rights and restricting his rights, it's also restricting, um, any future women that he, um, you know, wants to have children with. So I always use the example of me. I say, hey, if I, you know, I'm able to afford my children um, and I want to have a child with London, why, you know, why can't I? That's violating my rights. ACLU of Ohio
0: is involved in your case. Can you tell us, did they come first and you second or you first and
2: them second? How did that work for you? She's actually a Case Western Reserve uh, law school professor, Jesse Hill. And I call. I called and left her a message. She called me back five minutes later, and really without any hesitation, said yes, I'm interested. I'm going to talk to the. She, you know, was associated with the ACLU and was involved in the uh, in the last case. And she said, I'm going to talk to the ACLU and see if they're going to be interested. And um, they were. So. David Carey, who um, is out of Columbus, and Jesse Hill, who's out of Cleveland, they've worked together on these briefs.
0: My concern is the old adage bad facts make bad law. And I'm like Dorora here, it's hard for me to be sympathetic to your client. You know, some of the things you started to tell us that he does have a relationship with the kids, that he's working, those things help in my mind to start swaying the, the, you know, facts back to him, but it's uh, I think you are gonna get that question is isn't this tailored in this particular case and the better you hit that one out of the park, I think the better it is for your case.
1: I want to follow on your comment, John, and approach it from a slightly different angle. And I I don't think Giovanna that either John or I um are not sympathetic or are sympathetic. But I think we're sensitive because we've been around the block a few times (laughs) to how other people might look to the facts that we present. So let's approach it this way. Are you saying that fundamentally a court has, there is no occasion where a court can order you not to have children? Or are you saying there's some sophisticated balance of societal needs versus the fundamental right to procreate in this case just doesn't rise to that level of balance? Which is it?
2: Well, I know you're going to disagree with me on this one as well, but I would say, you know, it's
1: just not. the. We don't understand. Wait, We don't disagree with you. We get (laughs) I'd like to say we get paid to ask hard questions, but this isn't a paid gig. But we certainly, we certainly do ask hard questions for a good reason. So we please know we're not antithetical to your position. But here's what's coming your way when you when you talk to those seven people on the Supreme Court.
2: I don't want to say that the court should never um, impose this provision, but I think that um, I would be sort of hard pressed to find an opportunity where it would um, be appropriate. And I know that um, sort of your question, maybe follow question to this is going to be like, what do we do then? You know, what what's next? Like why, if you can't do this, then how are you going to regulate this? Um, 13 kids and that might seem crazy to both of you, but I have two. Um, what if I couldn't afford uh, them or, um, you know, Times are hard right now. People maybe can't afford their kids like they used to. Um, so do you say, hey you can't have any more kids um, even though you have two um, you know where's the line between 13 and, and you know one two kids? Where do you draw that line?
0: I like that argument that resonates with me when you think about uh, what is the government interest It's fatherddlers supporting children, and this seems to be not narrowly tailored to me. That's kind of where I would come out on it. And you're right. I like your arguments, when you talk about uh, there's a fine of $220,000 that he will never be able to get out of. He's got a felony convictions that he'll never be able to get out of. There's so many other things you could do to uh, to uh, protect that government interest other than taking away his right to procreate, which... Again, I like your argument that that might affect people uh, in the future that we're not expecting that, you know, um, to be concerned with. So,
1: Giovanna, what you said about how probation is handled reminds me of a podcast John and I did a few months back with a woman who is a, a supervisor, a manager, I'm not quite sure of her term, at the specialty docket court in Franklin County for prostitutes and women who have been subjected to human trafficking. Uh, It's a diversion program, and they are mentored, trained, supervised to find a way out of that terrible life and get a job and move on. So I'm wondering if really your case brings up the fact That maybe we need to have a diversity, excuse me, a diversion court for dads who aren't meeting their financial obligations and for that premise to have some punch to it. I'm wondering how many people there are out there, like Mr. Chapman and Mr. Anderson. How many gads do we have out there?
2: Uh, I can tell you that the non support docket is on Wednesday mornings in our court. They set everyone on Wednesday morning around the same time. And you can, any given Wednesday morning, you can probably have, um, you know, 100 people there um, for non support. And, and our people who have spent time in prison. And they, because they're in prison and they're not working, they haven't had the opportunity to pay during that time frame. And then it catches up with them once they get out.
1: It seems to me that putting, putting men or women in prison for failure to pay child support is uh, akin to debtor's prisons of a couple hundred years back.
2: Yeah. And um, I, I, I don't disagree with you. And when you think about, um, you know, the resources that we're spending to, again, from a taxpayer perspective, to enforce the non-support provisions, um, you know, same thing with debtors, you know, the debtors prisons that used to be. How many how many resources are you going to spend? I mean, you have a judge, you have an attorney, you have a prosecutor, you have the entire prosecutor's office. They have staff that work on these cases. Um, you have you know bondsmen who you know, these guys get bonds, and then um, you know that money is not going towards the children. Um, you have uh, you know the jail staff because they get thrown in jail. You have law enforcement who are picking these guys up on warrants.
1: Giovanna, you haven't told us how long you've been practicing.
2: So I've been practicing six years, it'll be seven in October um, that I've been practicing law.
1: Very few lawyers get to argue before the Supreme Court and an even smaller smaller number of lawyers with just six years of experience get into that category. So I commend you for having uh, such a worthwhile case. And for being able and for having the opportunity to present it at such a young point in your career to the Supreme Court, this is a big deal for you professionally. And, of course, it's a big deal for the law to have this issue examined. So I applaud you for what you're doing.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you
1: for having me. Lawyer Up will be back in a few weeks. Uh, I run a blog called Consider This by JD. I invite our listeners to subscribe. Until next time, remember to lawyer up.